0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the motorsport ministry your home for all hot takes news and other things revolving around the racing world so we're gonna have two topics to talk about today we're gonna talk about indycar a topic that i've really been wanting to discuss for a long time pretty much as long as this show has been around i've wanted to talk about it and just only now nearly a year later that i finally decided i'm gonna get around to doing it and then we're gonna talk about alex bowman and (laughs) all the shenanigans that's been surrounding him in this race winning ways but without further ado let's get started by talking about IndyCar who as most people would know at least most race fans and IndyCar fans would obviously know they had their season opener last week and I'm gonna be 100% honest with you I already forgot (laughs) literally going in I was like trying to think of topics I'm like what's a topic I want to talk about for this show And then I thought about it. You know, I haven't talked about IndyCar in a while. What's going on in IndyCar? I completely forgot that they had their season opener last week at St. Petersburg. And then it hit me. This finally gave me the opportunity to make this segment of the show that I've been wanting to make, like I said at the opener, since this show's even started. IndyCar has no momentum on its side. Well, okay, that's probably putting it a little too harsh. They have momentum, but very little momentum on their side. You know, you always have like that sport or that friend where it's like you see the potential. You see that there's way more to them that even they might see in themselves or maybe even a sport or a business or something. But they don't take all the necessary procedures. They don't do everything in their power to be successful. They even may make some mistakes along the way. And then they don't grow as big as they have the potential to. And then sometimes you find them kicking themselves to the curb like what the hell is going on. IndyCar is said friend. IndyCar is a product that has the potential to go to brand new heights. Heights bigger than NASCAR in my opinion if everything is done right. The problem is IndyCar does very little right to promote itself to the larger audience. And I'm going to talk about two aspects as to why I believe that's the case. Number one, the schedule, and number two, the marketing. So let's jump to the schedule. Schedule for IndyCar is garbage. It's hot doo-doo. Now, I'm not talking about the tracks they go to itself. I think the tracks they go to, minus going to the Indy road course twice a year, I think they're fantastic. You've got a lot of varieties. you got a lot of varieties of street courses, road courses. I wish you had a little more ovals, like super speedway ovals here and there, but overall, for what... What the tracks they provide, I think they're good. Like, just on a track level itself, I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10. My problem is, is that they got way too many large gaps in the schedule. What do I mean by that? I'm going to ask you guys a question. I'm going to give you guys a couple seconds to figure this out. How large is the gap from race one, St. Pete, to race two, Texas? I'll give you guys about five seconds to figure it out. It is a three-week gap from St. Petersburg to Texas, race one to race two. And and there's more of these on the schedule. Like, for example, there's another three-week gap from race th- two to race three and another three-week gap from race three to race four. What I'm trying to say is, especially for your first, you can kind of, let's put it this way, you can kind of get away with this towards the middle of the season when all your momentum is already built up when you've probably already gone through crown jewel race. And F1 does this. You know, they have their mid-season break, which lasts about three weeks how do you expect to build any momentum for your season especially if you have such a strong start to the season let's say with your first race when you have a three-week break and then you're on to race two because as a consumer i don't see that as i see it as man that was such a good first race of the season i can't wait for the next one you're like oh shit it's three weeks away okay probably gonna forget about it two weeks in And then once we get to Texas, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I forgot there was a race. You might have missed it. Now, I get there's only 17 races in a seventh month span. But then IndyCar needs to increase the races. Have around 19 to 20 races. IndyCar can do it. I don't want to hear that IndyCar can't do it. They can do it. I've seen them add tracks to the schedule. They fully can add races to the schedule. Every series will do that. Formula One has done that for the past four years. NASCAR, I mean, they need to retract races, but they know how to work their way around it. The truck series, I've seen them add and take race off the schedule back and forth. Why can't IndyCar do the same thing? You do this, you avoid these three-week gaps from one race to another. You can't build any momentum for your season, for your schedule, if you have so many large gaps. Like, think about it this way. The first... Back-to-back weekends of racing isn't until the Indianapolis 500, May 29th to June 5th. You can't build momentum with so many large gaps. It's like a student asking a teacher to hold off the due date. You're like, oh, this is going to be such a great project. Don't worry, when I, when I bring it to you, it's going to be amazing. They get a little taste, but then they don't get the full picture because there's so many large gaps because they keep holding off and off and off and off and off. There's four races from February 27th to May 1st. Most people are probably going to forget that there's even a couple races during that time span. Especially because you need, to, you need to have such a strong start to the season. Because with every sport, it taters off towards the middle portion. It kind of picks up a little bit towards the end. So you need a very strong start to begin your season in order to carry that momentum throughout. Andy Car can't build that if they constantly have two to three week gaps from race to race to race to race to race. To race. You can't do that. You need to have consistently at least two races per month. Now, if you divide the averages, they on average have about two and a half races a month, but I'm talking about consistently. Like February, there's only one race. March is only one. April is only one. Like, come on. The longest break should be at least a two-week gap from one race to another. Now, what you could do is you could do a Formula One does most of the time where you have a race, then a bye week, a race, then a bye week, a race, and a bye week. I think IndyCar, if they're going to go... With that route, that'll be the best route to go for. I'm not saying do what NASCAR does, where they literally only have one off week in like a 40 week span, but do what Formula One does: have a race, a bye week, a race, a bye week, a race, a bye week. Maybe you do, maybe you do it in Formula One does just straight up copy. Hey, we have we're gonna have a mid season break, do that, but don't have that, especially in your first few races of season. You can maybe get away with that towards the middle portion, but to have that as your to have that as your opening couple races. You're not going to get any kind of momentum. You're not going to build off anything. And you're just going to do what IndyCar has been doing for the past decade and and probably more. Just rely on the Indianapolis 500 to build momentum. How about instead of relying on one race for your entire season, have a strong foundation to carry that momentum throughout the entire season. I guarantee IndyCar will see way better results in the TV ratings, in everything, if they were to just clean, if they were to plug in the gaps. because again. If you have three weeks, if you only have four races from February to May 1st, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, that's just obvious. So the scheduling needs to be changed. Again, not necessarily with tracks, but just they need to add more. I know fans and you know everyone alike has been talking about this since the dawn of time, but they seriously need to do that because it's seriously hurting them. The second thing I want to talk about is the marketing. And I talk about this a lot. Where, especially with NASCAR, where it's like, I feel like their marketing department is seriously lacking. IndyCar's marketing department makes NASCAR's marketing department look like they should win an Oscar. I don't know if you can win an Oscar for marketing, but that's how bad it is. Let's put it in this perspective. If you look at IndyCar's social media, they're lacking considerably. They had something going for them when on YouTube they were streaming practice of qualifying. But ever since the new NBC deal, that went away. Hell, with the new NBC deal, you can't even watch practice of qualifying on even cable television. You have to go to Peacock. Which, yes, streaming is the future, but in terms of today, that's really gonna, that really does hurt them. And you constantly hear fans complaining about it over and over and over. Hell, there's even practices for the Indianapolis 500 that are on Peacock specifically. And in my opinion, that should never be the case. For your biggest race of the year, everything needs to be at the very least on cable television. They need to be on television. Nothing specifically on Peacock, especially for your biggest race of the year. And this is not necessarily also an IndyCar thing. This I feel like, for motorsports in general. I feel like, in general, American Motorsports is really lacking in the marketing department. And you could say, oh, that's because sponsors aren't coming to the door. Listen, IndyCar and NASCAR, I'm going to talk about both of them in the same boat. They're in a position, in my opinion, where both of them, honestly, they need to go asking for sponsors. Hey, come sponsor a race team. Or, hey, come sponsor a sport. Because they're not big enough to where sponsors want to come to them. And really, that's pretty much almost every sport in general besides the NFL. You don't believe me? Look at, if you don't, and if you don't believe me in that statement, look up Rich Energy, look up Euracly, look up DC Solar. I just named three sponsors that are in motorsport. So, like I said, the NFL is the only sport in America, in my opinion, that sponsors have to go asking them, can we be a sponsor? And not the other way around. Because the NFL is so big where it's like if you're averaging over 100 million viewers for a Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, it's kind of obvious. NASCAR can't even average 10 million viewers for the Daytona 500 this year. So, the marketing needs to change drastically. And IndyCar has a personality to do with it. They have Their personalities are eclipsing miles ahead of NASCAR's personalities. Joseph Newgarn is a bigger personality than Chase Elliott. Alexander Rossi is a bigger personality than Kyle Larson. And I love Kyle Larson. Jimmy Johnson is in there, you got Scott McLaughlin, you got Roman Grosjean, so you got diversity from not just ethnicity, but also from racing series, and your American-born talent are way more marketable, in my opinion, than NASCAR's top young guns. They need to market better. They need a complete overhaul in the marketing department. Take advantage of your superstars, because I guarantee you, the casual American audience, they would love Joseph Newgarden, they would love Alexander Rossi, they would love Romain Grosjean, especially if they heard his story from the Bahrain Grand Prix a couple years ago. They would love Simon Patrick. They will love... There really isn't an IndyCar driver that you can say that you hate. And that might come to bite them, because obviously every sport needs their villain. But you can't hate any of these IndyCar drivers. Or at the very least, you can't say that any of these IndyCar drivers are boring. So, for, so IndyCar needs to take full advantage of that. If they can clean up the marketing... If they can clean up the scheduling, they could plug in the holes. Any car can honestly go to heights bigger than NASCAR can even dream of, in my opinion. Because, in my opinion, the personalities are way better. The cars, in my opinion, look way better because they look more like a traditional race car than just your average Joe stock car. The tracks are more appealing to a casual audience. As stupid as the stereotype is, let's be honest here, bunch of guys going around in a circle that's not the most appealing to the naked eye for an audience. But if you see these cool, sleek, fast-looking race cars going around a street course, and they do beat and bang, that's going to be more visually appealing than a NASCAR product. And also, they go on ovals also, and of course, they hold the biggest race of the year across the globe. So IndyCar has everything in place to be successful, to even be better than NASCAR in the United States. But they seriously need to build momentum because they certainly do not have it right now with the scheduling and their marketing issues. If they can clean those two things up, I guarantee you IndyCar can reach heights greater than any of us could imagine. All right, going to the second topic. And originally this wasn't even going to be my second topic for this episode. I was going to talk about the next gen car after its performance in Las Vegas before me and my buddy Will when he comes on the show next week. Kind of go in a full in-depth review of the next gen car for the West Coast weekend. Because in my opinion, the West Coast is honestly the perfect time to you know to review the next gen. With you got the two mile bumpy track, you got a smooth one and a half miler, and then you got the flat one miler. So diverse set of tracks, good way to review the next gen car. But after coming out of Las Vegas, I don't even see that the talk is that much about the next gen. It's about a certain winner of the next gen car, the most recent winner in the next gen car, and that is Alex Bowman. A lot of people are really giving Alex Bowman a lot more flack than he deserves. And that's just not in sports in general. That's just in life. Like, we all have that one friend. We all have that one boss. I have that one boss. And in my opinion, he gets way more flack than he deserves. But we all know that person. Where, like I've said, stated multiple times already. And Alex Bowman is that driver in NASCAR, in my opinion. Because everyone says that all his wins are pretty much fluke wins. That... He, didn't really, he wasn't really up front. They act like he was running 30th all race long. And then with five laps to go, he was just in the lead. And then he cruised on to win with only leading like a quarter of a lap. That's not true at all. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Alex Bowman is the second coming of the Messiah for NASCAR. But he is nowhere by means a bad driver. And really, besides one, you can maybe argue two wins. All of them are fully deserved. And we're going to go through all seven of Alex Bowman's wins. And I'm going to explain to you in depth why Alex Bowman deserves to be a seven-time winner in the Cup Series. So let's go with the first win, 2019 Chicago Chicagoland. He had to duel his, his at the time, his future teammate Kyle Larson for the win. Larson passed him with less than 10 to go. And then Alex Bowman in the 88 car where Hendrick was pretty bad. If you want to know how bad Hendrick Motorsports was in 2019... Chase Elliott was their highest finished driver in the points in 10th. Now the single HMS driver finishes out of the top five in points. That's how bad they were in 2019. But he dual Kyle Larson. He led 88 laps, so a good chunk of laps on the day, to his first career victory. Fully, de- fully well-earned, fully well-deserved victory for Alex Bowman. 2020, his second cup win, Auto Club, dominated the race. His most dominated performance to date, led 110 to 200 laps. He deserved that win. If you don't think Alex Bowman deserved to win that race, I don't know what the hell you're smoking. Third win, coming at Richmond in 2021. past Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin dominated the race, led more than half the laps, and basically looked to be on cruise control for the win. But LA caution came out. Alex Bowman's pit crew put him in a good spot to where Bowman was able to take advantage and passed Denny Hamlin straight up on the restart. Beat Denny Hamlin flat out. Kind of like Kyle Larson in 2019 Chicago Lane. Where he had to beat one of the best in the sport to do it. And that's exactly what Bowman did. And he cruised to his third career Cup Series victory. Again, in my opinion, fully deserved. Because again, the car may be good. But it takes a hell of a wheel man to wheel a good car. And Alex Bowman, starting to see the trend here. He's a wheel man. I mean, you already got, let's see. He had to beat... The eventual 2021 champion who won 10 races. First time someone's done that since 2007 for his first career win. Second career win, he flat out dominated. No one was close to touching him. And in 2021, he had to beat the, at the time, best driver in the series at the time, who was leading the points. I say that's a pretty good resume for your first trio of wins so far. Let's move on to his fourth career win. It was Dover, and I believe he le- I'm not exactly sure how many laps he led, but I think he led around 90 laps. Now granted, Hendrick Motorsports as a whole was dominant that day. Kyle Larson was dominant, Alex Bowman was dominant. They all finished 1, 2, 3, 4 in the race. So it was basically a matter of which Hendrick car was going to come out on top. At the end of the day, it was Alex Bowman. And again, he had to duel his teammate Kyle Larson, who would turn out to be the champion of that year, to get his fourth career cup series victory. Again, fully well-deserved. His fifth win is the one win that you can argue is like, okay, yeah, no, he lucked into that win. And that was Pocono, which everyone knows, Larson was leading, he cut a flat tire, and then Alex Bowman just scooted by him to win the race. That one, yes, Alex Bowman kind of lucked into the win. Yes, he was up front all day long. Yes, he was leading with 10 laps to go and Larson passed him, but again... How likely is it for a driver to cut a flat tire on the final turn of the final lap to win the race? Not very likely at all. So his fifth career win, I will give you, is a kind of a fluke. But then again, you need to be in set position. It would be the same thing if it was Kyle Busch, if it was Kyle Larson himself who was running second, Chase Elliott, whoever. It would have been the same scenario. Sixth career win. Barnesville. Rex Hamlin. Spence him out to get the win. Now again, Bowman up front all day, not necessarily all day long, but towards the end. He put himself in position. Again, it takes a driver, a very good driver, to put your to put themselves in a position to win the race. Alex Bowman did that. Yeah, he kind of knocked Danny Hamlin out of the way, but and nearly cost Hamlin a Final Four spot. But then again, it's Martinsville. It's a short track. They're beating and banging. It was eventually bound to happen some way, shape, or form. Seventh career win, Las Vegas. Bowman was up front all day long. He won stage one. He was consistently inside the top five, inside the top ten. And again, he flat out for the third time, just flat out beat Kyle Larson. This time was a side-by-side battle for nearly two laps. At the time, Kyle Larson was the defending champion, and he was a couple car lengths away from winning back-to-back races again. So for Alex Bowman to again, flat out beat Kyle Larson, straight up the defending champion, the driver who won ten races a year previously. To flat out, just beat him. You can't call that a fluke, folks. Let's look at the drivers that Alex Bowman has had to beat to win his seven career races. He's had to beat Kyle Larson for his first career win. He's had to—he just flat out dominated his second career win. No one was going to touch him. He had to beat Denny Hamlin first, third. He had to beat Kyle Larson again for his fourth. His fifth win, he he lucked into it, but he had to battle again, Kyle Larson. His fifth career win. No, I'm sorry. His fifth career win was Pocono. Um, My bad. Dover, again, he had to flat out beat Kyle Larson. So I've already named three or four times that Kyle Larson was beat by Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman had to beat who many regard as the greatest driver in the Cup Series to this date. Alex Bowman had to beat him. And again, he's beat him nearly three to four times. So... It takes a special kind of driver to beat consistently, might I add, the greatest driver in the Cup Series as of today. I'm not saying Alex Bowman's a top five, top ten driver in the sport, but he's no schmuck. And if we were to take Ale- all of Kyle Larson's wins out of the way that Alex Bowman has beaten him for, Danny Hamlin, he had to beat Denny Hamlin for Richmond. Again, arguably the greatest driver to never, never win a title. 44 wins, 44 wins, three Daytona 500s. Richmond, Martinsville, again, he had to flat out beat Denny Hamlin. Folks, it's not like we're dealing with Cody Ware, who, who would maybe lead like the final half lap to win these races. Alex Bowman's a very good driver. And you can even argue that he should have more wins. He should have won Phoenix in 2016 when he was subbing for Dale Earnhardt Jr. He should have won the Coca-Cola 600 in 2020. He should have won one of the Darlington races when we came back. So you want to argue that Alex Bowman wins lucks into a lot of wins? He should have probably 10 wins by right now in his career if you really look at the whole picture. But then again, that's racing. So Alex Bowman, besides his Pocono win, all his wins are fully deserved. He had to beat the best in the sport to do it. He had to beat the greatest driver to never win a title to do so. He dominated one of the races. Yes, he fluked into one, but guess what? It takes a damn good driver to put yourself in that position. If Alex Bowman was just a schmuck like everyone wants to say he is, he would have never beat Larson straight up in any of his wins. He would have never beaten Denny Hamlin straight up to win to get into any of those wins. He'd probably be around 11th to 12th at the end of the day. And that's just the truth. If you really want to say Alex Bowman's a schmuck driver, then the only win that Alex Bowman should really have in his career is Auto Club 2020 because no one was touching him that day. But again. And I'm gonna keep reiterating it because there's some fans out there who don't want to get it through their head, he had to beat the best currently in the sport to get like three or four of his wins, and he had to beat the greatest driver to never win a title to get two of his wins. If that doesn't signif- if that doesn't show how great of a driver Alex Bowman is, and again, I'm not saying he's top ten driver, not saying he's top five driver, but what I'm trying to get here is that for people to say that Alex Bowman is a hack. For people to say that Alex Bowman doesn't deserve any of his wins or he looks basically to any of his wins, it's completely discrediting how good of a driver Alex Bowman really is. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. If you guys want to listen to the rest of the catalog, just go on Spotify and search up the Motorsport Ministry. You can find all previous episodes. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Motorsport Ministry, and we'll see you next time.